Okay, I don't usually start a sermon with a caveat. Um, I want to jump into a question that's a little bit controversial in our country right now. All I ask is just hang in there with me. Okay, you don't have to agree with me, but just hang in there and hear me through to the end. Don't go storming out. We have people to take pictures of you as you leave, which we will put on Facebook. No, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Some of the people said, I want to go to the NRO rather than go to church. And I said, well, we're starting at 915 on purpose to give Hazel more time. That way you can come here and hear the music and you can go over there and hear the NRO. So if you leave for that reason, that's legitimate. So just ask that you walk with me. Our country is in the middle of a lot of confusion these days on a lot of topics. And uh, I want to ask the question and work our way through Scripture, is it okay to be proud to be an American? Okay? And I want to talk about that because our country is kind of dividing from what I can see along two big lines. One is globalism, the other one is nationalism. And I, I personally struggle with both of those thoughts, and you'll hear why in a minute. Is there a way through the middle of this that allows us to appreciate what God has done. You see, we have been talking all year about the love story of God, and we started in Leviticus. I know some of you visitors are going, what? Leviticus, really? We had a great time in Leviticus. And then, for the summer, we're looking at God has made his dwelling among us. That's how he finishes Revelation. And so we're looking at, for the rest of the summer, the many ways that God has shown himself to us and moved in with us, and lived with us, and dwelt among us. And the nations are one of those ways. So part of that love story that begins in Genesis, and really picks up after the fall, because God was well within his rights to just abandon creation. That argument's in there, and he decided not to. He decided to rescue us, to save us, to come after us. And you see the real heart of God uh, appear uh, after the fall, when he moves into our world to come get us. And so the story of the nations is actually part of that love story. We're so different. I don't think I realized it near as much until I started traveling overseas. So over 22 years, I've taught in uh, other countries that are less fortunate than us and um, taught at schools. In fact, in five weeks, I'm going to Mozambique, Africa to finish uh, a class with seniors, and we're going to graduate them. And so uh, I learned a lot about all these years of teaching overseas about how wonderful our differences are. So the story begins way back in Genesis 10 and 11. That's where the story begins as far as the nations go. Okay, now you may remember, just to refresh you, you have the garden, then you have the fall, okay? And so after the fall... Then you have Cain and Abel, the very first horrible story of sin. And by the way, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat our nation. Yes, we have issues of sin too. We have issues where we should be sorrowful for what's happened. I'm not afraid to say that, but that doesn't mean that it makes it bad. The Lord still has a plan. So then when you get down to 10 and 11, we have a very unique story there. It's a story of God creating the nations. He divides them up. So one of the questions we have to wrestle with today is, why on earth did God create the nations? Why did he deliberately make people that are different from one another? Well, um, we'll come back to that in a little bit. We're going to work our way there. But the Tower of Babel is an example of globalism, if you will, 
The people didn't want to be separated. They hung together. God had just said at the end of the flood, I want you to spread out on the earth and fill it. Now, we obviously think of that in terms of physical reproduction, and that's clearly part of it, but we're going to see in just a minute that he had something else in mind too, something beyond that, this physical reproduction. Spread out on the earth and fill it. That was his command. And what did they do? They did this. And so if you read the Tower of Babel, then you know what happened. He said, we're not going to let this happen. They're not going to do it on their own, so we're going to do it for them. So he confused the languages, and he scattered them around the world. I don't know what it was like. I don't know how he decided to scatter the, the language. I, don't, I mean, to confuse the language, I mean, is it between a husband and wife? Nancy and I have enough trouble communicating as it is. I can imagine if she spoke one language and I spoke another. Maybe that's what happened. Or maybe it's between families. Maybe parents spoke one language, kids spoke another. Maybe it's between friendships. You know, all of a sudden, my best friend, one of my best friends sitting right here, Mike Bagnell. Hey, Mike. In fact, uh, for those of you that don't know, John Comey, one of our members, had a stroke this week that's on the prayer list. I, I drove down to the hospital, and his niece, is your niece, Taylor? Taylor, stand up. She's going to hate this. She was a nurse that took care of him. Thank you so much. And here she is, sitting here. Uh, did it happen? One day, Mike and I were talking different languages, and our friendship goes by the wayside. How did, I don't know how that happened. All I know, it was very uh, disruptive in society, and it caused them to scatter. God scattered all the nations into the, around the world. Okay, That's Genesis 10 and 11. Then you have the wonderful story of Genesis 12, and that's Abraham, where God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations. All right, now just think of where we've come in 12 chapters. You know, starting in chapter 3, you have the fall. And by chapter 12, God is so in love with his creation that he decides he wants to solve the problem. So he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing to all of the nations. So we learn right away that he really wants to bless us. That's step number one. So I'm going to use an old image, and then some of the young people gave me a, a modern, more modern one. Bob Ross is coming back. Any of you know who Bob Ross is? Yeah, right, you do? When we were preaching, I don't know if you caught this, uh, before we could gather back again, and I'm preaching in the sanctuary all by myself, I made a comment one Sunday that it's really hard preaching to an empty sanctuary. There's nobody here, but there's good news to that because I have 100% approval rating. How many of you like my sermon? Say 100%. And I'm the only one in the thing. So I come back the next Sunday, and I get up there to preach, and there's a life-size picture of Bob Ross. <laughs> okay, so here's God. He creates a kaleidoscope of nations. Okay? I use that word on purpose because it represents different colors. But it, everything that goes with that, different language, different cultural practices, different ways of thinking. Okay? Uh, and some of the young people said, well, use Bob Ross. He has this palette of colors. And it's like, oh yeah, he does. <laughs> and so he chose one, Abraham, to be a blessing to the rest. They weren't better. He makes it a point that I didn't choose you because you were great. In fact, you were the smallest of the nations. Because if I had chose the, the best nation, you would have gotten credit. So God says, I chose the smallest nation to be a blessing to the rest. Oh, you know the story Ultimately, they were. They produced the Messiah, Jesus. And he's the one that made 
it possible for us to, as Hazel said, celebrate together our one true Father. He made that possible. So they were a blessing to the nations. But God had a lot more in store than that, than just simply the the Messiah. You see, he wanted to produce for himself a people. He wanted to produce a people that were very different from one another in the diversity. Does that surprise you? I mean, just look out there. You guys picked the wrong day to come. It's hard for me to preach when you got that to look at. Okay? Look at the beauty out there. All the different types of flowers, the different types of trees, the different terrain, all the birds up here singing and all the, right? I love sitting on my back deck and reading and watching all the different birds come. I don't know which ones are which. Uh, Someday maybe I'll, when I retire, I'll study the birds, but I just love it. And so everywhere you look in creation, you see this, this panorama of color and difference. God likes that. So it makes sense that he would want a people that are diverse and spread out. People that think differently from one another. We still haven't answered the question of why or how yet, but we learn from Genesis 12 that he made, here he is and he surrounds himself with all of these colors of people that are different from one another and he chooses one faithful person and said, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. I want you to bless the nations. So right off the bat, we have this clue that we are to be a blessing. That's the beginning point. But that's not the end. of The Messiah is not the end of the story. You see, as the Bible unfolds, what happened is Israel became more and more protective. Um, well, that makes sense because through their history, because of their sin, they're attacked from all sides. And so they become more and more protective of their little nation. And pretty soon, they were meant to be an invitation Solomon says in 1 Kings 8 at the dedication of the temple, when the foreigners all around us come to this temple because of your great name, for they will indeed hear of your great name. I love this. Listen to their prayers and bless them and answer their prayers so that they will know that you are the one true God. You ever pray for your non-Christian friends? God bless them. I do all the time. Bless them. Give them what they're asking for. Okay? Give them what they're asking for. And uh, because they will come to know you as God. And so, but Israel didn't do that. They protected themselves. Pretty soon God scatters them around the world and then they come back together again, okay? And, and they're even more protective. And they develop their theology along these lines. Instead of come join us, you are not like us, so stay out. They even put signs on the temple warning the Gentiles that their very life is at stake. If they cross this barrier, stay out. You're not like us. That's not what God desired when he made the nations. So then you have the story of Pentecost. So I'm walking through the Bible in large chunks, looking at it from the perspective of community and nations. Then you have the story of Pentecost, which is really fascinating. So Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, the church is formed, you have the people of God, and they celebrate. Miracles are happening, blah, 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 blah. All this stuff is happening. But what did they do? They stayed together. That's what happened. So several things happened at Pentecost that are identical to what happened with Babel. And it gives us a glimpse of what Babel was truly about. You see, at Pentecost... Through the gift of tongues, 
he overcame linguistic separation. Remember back here? He confused their languages so that they had to move out, scatter, so they couldn't understand one another. And at Pentecost, because of the Holy Spirit, he didn't eliminate the different languages. You notice that. He introduced a gift so they could hear each other. They could hear God being praised in their own language. So it's the first time since Babel that he overcame the language and the separation. Furthermore, just before this, at the end of Matthew 28, what did Jesus say? Go into all the world, right? And make uh, disciples of all of the nations, ethne, the ethnic groups. Spread out and go into all the world. What did God say back here to Noah just before Babel? Spread out on the earth and fill it. Okay? So we think of physical reproduction. But when we get to Matthew 28, what we discover is he has a whole nother layer that's important to him. Make disciples of all the nations. Be a blessing to all peoples. Be a blessing to all peoples. So now we have the command um, that was given then, given again. We have languages that were separated, now through miraculous intervention have been overcome. And then in Acts chapter 8, one year later, they're still grouping. Persecution. The stoning of Stephen. And it says God scattered the Christians all around the world. That's the same word as what's used in the Greek Old Testament back here at Babel. He scattered all the nations. You see, he had a plan. He scattered them all out to their parts of the world. And so at Pentecost, in this one-year period, we now gather the true picture of what God intended for the nations. One is command, move out into the earth, disciple all the nations, tell them about me. Number two, the language barriers, we have special gifts that will overcome that. Number three, when they didn't do it, he scattered them. Starting at Acts 8, 1. How many of you were here last week? Or my son. My son was here last week and talked about the Ethiopian, uh, right? And so, Philip and the Ethiopian. And so, starting with Acts 8, 1, that's the first story. Every nation known in the world at that time begins to hear about Christ. And that's what God's plan was all along. Uh, thank you, by the way, for all of your texts and comments about my son, especially those of you that said, maybe it's time for you to retire and let your son take over. I know who you are. I have a list. It's like Santa Claus. I have a list. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so every nation in the known world, starting at Acts 1, begins to move out. The gospel comes to them. And you know what? We see this in the New Testament. We see something that's fascinating. If you, if you look at the New Testament from an ethnic perspective, you know what? It's the first, and I would argue, the only true pluralistic model. Romans is written to Italians. Corinth is written to Greeks, Corinthians. Titus is written to a uh, Mediterranean island culture. Then you have all the little towns in Asia Minor, Turkish people. James is probably written to Jewish Christians. And so what you have with all these books of the New Testament, you have them all going in different directions. And what the authors are doing is they're not trying to make them what we think of with imperialism or colonialism, okay? 
which is what the fear of globalism is. That's the opposite of nationalism. No, they're not trying to make them something other than Christian. And so each of these, these epistles in the New Testament represent the story of somebody, Paul or Peter or Jude or somebody else, working with them in their own culture to navigate the complexities that arise between their cultural laws and the new covenant. And they don't always agree. 1 Corinthians 7, I want the young widows to remain single. 1 Timothy 5, written to Ephesus, I want the uh, young widows to remarry. And so you begin to see in each of the New Testament epistles them working within the individual cultures to help them learn how to bring this wonderful new covenant, this promise of the gospel, everything that's in here, out within their culture in a way that brings honor to the Lord without making them something different. That's what happens. One of the things I learned early on in my teaching overseas, there's a very clear line between biblical principle and cultural practice. When my students are asking the what question, that is biblical principle. Helping them understand a core principle. The moment they start asking the how question, that's moved over the line into cultural practice. If I answer that question, I will make them Americans. I don't want them to be Americans. I want my Nepalese students to be Nepalese students and be proud of it. I want my Mozambican students in Africa to be Mozambican. I want my Haitian students to be Haitian. I don't want them to be American. So if I start telling them how to do this, my only venue is right here. And I'm going to start making them American. So when they move across that line from what does the Bible say and what does it mean to how do we do it, I'm done. I move from an educator to a facilitator. And I put them in small groups and say, you figure it out. You know your culture. I don't. And it's fascinating to watch them. And as part of this exercise that we do with all these these nations is that I say, okay, pretend that we are at the communion, the Lord's table, which we're going to do in just a few minutes here. So we're going to be at the Lord's table, right? And uh, and everybody comes down, down for communion, and everybody stands equal together before the Lord. It doesn't matter where you're from. Some of you are from Texas. You can't help that, okay? I was talking to several Texas people. I went to Dallas Seminary. I did my time in purgatory. If there's purgatory, I've been there. And they said, hey, what's wrong with Texas? I go, look at this. I live here, and I go to seminary in Texas? Really? That's purgatory. I'm glad you guys are here. (laughs) So we're all going to come, but we stand equal before the Lord. I don't care what state you came from. I don't care what your ethnic background is. I don't care what country you came from. For just a brief moment, we all stand equal, don't we? Serving the same God. So I asked my students overseas. This is a fascinating thing to watch. I'm an American, and I'm proud to be an American. I have been given a gift that you haven't had the pleasure of having. It's called Advanced Studies in Theology. So when I got my PhD, I didn't pay for it. All my friends got together and paid for it. I didn't do it. So when I finished, I just prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, I know I can never pay my friends back, and that's not what they would want anyway. So what can I do to honor them? And so I said, maybe I could go to a country where they don't have this opportunity and share this gift that I've been given with them. And right off the bat, one of my friends calls me and says, I need help in India. 
<laughs> okay, let's go. And for 22 years, I've been going. Three times a year, three different countries a year. And so I do an exercise with them and say, we all stand together at the Lord's table. I'm bringing you a gift of education. What gift are you bringing? We're equal. We stand equal before the Lord. What gift are you bringing? It's fascinating because they've never been asked that question. To watch them wrestle through what do they have to offer the Lord that's different than what I have to offer the Lord. It's fascinating. The Hindu students, they said to me, well, we've been taught to, pr- uh, to pray from 5 to 6 every morning, and I forget the number of times a day. And we still do that as Christians, so now you're on our prayer list. We can bring prayer to you. And I have students from 20 years ago that still pray for me, and our church, by the way. That's a gift that they can bring. I don't spend an hour in the morning at 5 in the morning. For- I'm trying to sleep, but I wasn't raised that way. And so we have these great discussions about God has made us different on purpose. Still haven't answered the question, why or how yet? Okay? So then, when you get to Acts 27, there's a fascinating passage. uh, Paul is preaching. um, Acts 17. He's in Athens. Okay? And here's what he says. From one man, God made all the nations. That's referring, that's referring back to Genesis 10 and 11. Okay? From one man, he made all the nations. So that they should inhabit the whole earth, spread out on the earth and fill it. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him. This is the reason for spreading out. Now we're at Matthew 28. Go make disciples of all the nations. Go all over the world and tell them about this living God. Why? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. Okay? Acts 17. That's just a repeat of this. That's a summary of the story that I just told you. That's why we have nations and spread out. Still haven't answered the question of how or why yet. Um, So let me make a suggestion to you. Then we're going to look at a passage in Revelation, and then we're done. One of the things I've learned teaching overseas all these decades is that the different nations, they conceptualize God a little differently. I'm not talking about Buddha, Allah. I'm talking about the one true living God. Okay? They, they experience him in different ways because of their language. And by the way, the Bible gives us a hint of that. Hebrew is a very pictorial language. Anger is the word for, uh, we translate anger as having a red nose, okay? Lying is, think of Pinocchio, you got a long nose, okay? Hebrew is very, is very pictorial. Greek is not that way. It's very linear. Two different languages, two different people groups. And so we get a sense right then of how God made us different. So I learned very quickly that every nation is different from every other nation. And then it got me thinking and looking back home. What is that like here? And you know what? The same thing applies right here. For example, if all I know about God is what I just study on my own, my view of God is only this big. And then I sit down with one of you older, don't mean to be offensive, older young uh, women, and I listen to the way you describe God, and my view gets a little bigger because you've experienced him very differently. The language that you use, the adjectives, the words are very different. 
I sit with my friend Mike, and we're very much alike, and so our experiences are very similar. So I cross the gender boundary, and it gets a little bigger. So then I meet with some of the young people, and I say, tell me what you think about this passage. My view of God gets a tad bigger, okay? Pretty soon I'm crossing the ocean. I'm crossing every boundary there is in existence. Gender, socioeconomic, religious, you name it. Cultural, and my view of God gets huge. You see, God becomes more three-dimensional when we listen to each other. And that's what eternity is all about. Oh, we have a glimpse of it now. We have just a taste today, right? What did Hazel say? We all serve the same Father. We have just a taste. It's only a taste of what's coming. Our view of God becomes three-dimensional and full color and real and alive when we listen. So I'm in India teaching my students, and I'm in Ephesians where it says there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ, one baptism, one faith, blah, blah, blah. And I said, so he becomes a model of what we are to be like, and all my students started to laugh. And I said, okay, what did I say wrong? And they said, we don't think you understand the passage. Enlighten me. They said, we have 330 million gods. You can't be unified until you have one. The moment you have two, you're divided. Which God do you support? And it's like, oh, light bulbs came on. They taught me something. I learned just as much from them as they do from me because I'm hearing it through their eyes. That's what happens when I meet with young people. That's what happens when I meet with uh, different people from different states and I meet from people from different countries is that I I see God through lenses that I never knew existed. That's why the nations exist. That's the reason. If you individually knew everything there was to know about God, you'd be Jesus. And that's not you. I hate to tell you that. You only have a snippet. As you listen to people that are different than you, I hate the word diversity because it's been so politicized, but as you listen to people that are diverse or different than you, your knowledge of God begins to grow. Now, granted, we can do the best we can here, and we don't do it very well in our country, in our world today. It's a very broken world. By the way, when I, came, uh, when I first got here, I met with four of the students who were on the football team, and they asked me, how do we live out our faith on the football team? They've been listening to my sermons. Some people listen, by the way. just thought I'd let you know that. Okay? How do we live out our faith? And I said, tell me about your football team. And they started talking about the football team, and I realized if I answer the question, I'm going to make them a boomer. I'm a boomer. I'm not ashamed of it. God's the one to put me at this place in life. Okay? So I didn't answer the question. I said, you guys tell me what you can do within the context of your football team to live out your faith. Pretty soon they start coming up with ideas I never would have dreamed of, ever. I never would have dreamed of. That is what the kingdom is all about. Right there. Because I crossed over from biblical principle to cultural practice. And they start asking the question, how do we live our faith out? That's over here in this realm. And I have to turn turn it over to them and let them do it. This is why the nations are so critical. Okay? I'm not a nationalist. I'm simply an American. I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm proud to be an American. I'm grateful to be an American. As you walk out in just a minute, you're going to see two flags up there that we hung. 
You didn't say coming in. And it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Psalm 33, both of them. Blessed are the nations whose God is the Lord. And that's our job. That's our job. Okay, so listen to the end of the story. It's all the way down Revelation 21 because he says quite a bit of things about the nations. He begins in Revelation 21, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and he himself will be them, be with them and be their God. Then he says, I am making everything new. What he means by that is we finally are going to get rid of the sin, the greed, the corruption, and we get to look at each other with pure eyes and say, I'm so glad you're different than me. I told my Nepalese students, I want you to be Nepalese. When I get to the new earth, I want to come hang out and drink coffee with you guys. You build your houses so crazy compared to ours. I want to see what they look like, you know? I tell the Africans the same. I'm so glad that you guys are African. You're teaching me things. He's making everything new. We get to enjoy one another without all the sin, the corruption, and the greed. And then he goes on and says, those who are victorious will inherit all of this. I will be their God, and they will be my children. Then he goes and he says, come on to John. I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. He's going to show us what this looks like. Here it is. He carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and show me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. You see, the new Jerusalem is the, is the people of God. That's why Revelation says five times, every nation, every tribe, every language, every people. That's the people of God. That's what they cried out. Thanks, Rob, for reading Revelation 5. That's what they cried out in praise. And then he says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of the Lord gives light to it, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into this city. No, on no day will the gates ever be shut, because there's no night there. It's safe. It's a safe place. That's why you close the city gates. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. I think that's all the things that we produce and make because we're made like God. We still get to do what God wanted us to do. We still get to make things and create them. And we get to bring them into the temple, into the city, I mean, the new city, to show Jesus what we did. And like a proud papa, he's just going to smile and laugh. But then he says one more interesting thing. The angels showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. You see, we're back in Eden where we started. Except now we know who the true God is. Now we know. Um, The leaves of the trees of life are for the healing of the nations. You see, even when we get to eternity, we're not done yet. We still have healing work to do because we've hurt one another. We've hurt one another. So don't think of eternity as a light switch. That's when all the evil is taken away and we really get to, for the first time, look each other in the eyes and say, I was wrong. I'm so sorry. You know, and everything gets repaired. And the tree of life brings, makes that a possibility for us to do it. 
That's why the nations exist, so that we can learn all about God and we have all of eternity to listen to one another with the Son dwelling right in our midst, probably laughing his head off at us as we work our way through this. That's why we exist as nations. I'm not a nationalist, and I'm not a globalist. I'm an American. I'm glad to be an American. I'm not ashamed to be an American. And I love my friends who are Nepalese. I'm so glad they're Nepalese. I love my friends that are Indian. I'm so glad they're Indian. I love my friends that are Haitian. I'm so glad they're Haitian. Because we get to teach each other who the one true God is and see him in new and fresh ways. That's why he made the nations. Don't be ashamed to be an American. Be ashamed if you're a greedy American. Be ashamed if you're a prejudicial American. You can put in whatever adjective you want, but not, it's not because you're American. Blessed are the nations whose God is the Lord. We like to say, God bless America. How about this? May America bless God. Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, making us who we are. Lord, on behalf of my people and my family, as Nehemiah and Solomon and so many people prayed, on behalf of my people and my family, uh, I'm sorry for the way that we have taken advantage of who we are and hurt others. Well, Lord, thank you for making me who I am. I'm not better. I stand equal, eyeball to eyeball with my brothers and sisters around the world. And I'm so grateful for them as well. Thank you for your goodness. In your son's name we pray, amen. For those of you that are visitors, we finished our time, a little bit of time, more time of worship. And we do two things here. One is we do collect an offering. So I'm gonna have the uh, ushers go ahead. And the reason why we call this worship is because in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says that your giving, your giving is uh, is a testimony to your faith in the gospel. For those of you that don't know where you stand with Jesus, not a problem. I've been there myself. I get it. Look in the eyes of the people that are doing things. Some of you give online. Some of you give in these baskets. However you give, this up to you. But let me say this. Thank you for being so generous. You're the ones that make it possible for us to do this venue, to take care of the poor through our benevolence, to feed the poor through our food bank, to pay our staff to do this. Thank you for doing that. So if you're not a believer, just watch people. Watch the excitement that they have. I love to give. I love to give. We'll be back in just a moment and do, creation, uh, do communion together.